Vulnerable Podcast is a platform for open and transparent conversations. Each episode, I interview a guest who has experienced something that is very common to all of us, but they offer a unique perspective on how they gain spiritual insight and found strength in their vulnerabilities by owning their power. These conversations are authentic, raw and unedited. As always, let us know how these conversations are benefiting you by engaging with us on social media by using the hashtag #VulnerableConversations. Hello, I am Elisa Vichal and I am your host for Vulnerable Podcast. Today I am talking to Donna Lancaster from The Bridge. Um, Donna is one of the co-founders and facilitators of The Bridge Retreat and has been working with individuals, couples and groups for over 20 years. She originally trained as a social worker specialising in child protection and worked extensively within this and related fields for 10 years or related fields for 10 years. Um, Donna is passionate about the subject of grief and the grieving process, which she believes is believes offers the missing link for many in their search for wholeness. The, the interest stems from her own very personal experience of depression, which she suffered many years and now knows to have, in fact, been unprocessed grief, which is something that I want to explore later. Um, on the bridge, Donna uses a variety of approaches, including ancient ritual practices to support people to grieve and move from, on from their losses. These losses can include bereavement, divorce, separation, loss of innocence, betrayals of trust, identity, emptiness syndrome, and lost opportunities. And this is a quote from you that I really liked on your website. It says, um, through allowing and supporting the natural order of grieving process to flow, people find themselves remembering who they really are and living from this true space. When there is unfinished business in our lives, it is very hard to move on and engage with life fully. Grieving allows us to cross the bridge from past hurts and sorrow into a place of lightness and joy. And that's what we're trying to get to. That's mm-hmm. what everybody is trying to get to, like a place of lightness. And something for me that I always talk about wanting to be free and light. And so it's a continuous like reach if that makes sense mm. so hey Donna hello how are you oh well thank you you oh, look well. lovely today thank you I feel very um honored to be here to be honest cool thank you, you so really much do. um so I've just introduced you but I'd like you to kind of talk a little bit about yourself and you know your journey and like how you came to start the bridge mm. okay um well like you said I I I I've been working in this field, I think it's like 28 years or something like that, like in related fields, working with people Mm -hmm. basically and working with people a lot in pain. Mm -hmm. And so I did this job in the early days. um, I was a social worker and Mm -hmm. I I had so much of my own pain and I was obviously like many people do in the kind of therapeutic worlds as I was kind of uh, ignoring my pain and Mm -hmm. just trying to help other people. But I was Mm -hmm. really trying to save myself basically mm-hmm. through I these children that. yeah yeah and 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 it's and that's okay you yeah. know as long as you're clear about it but so so in terms of my my own journey has really been about like you said tw- you know 20 years of unprocessed pain which mm. was labeled and diagnosed as depression mm-hmm. and that really you know, and I was in and out of therapy. I was a functioning depressive. So I got up in the morning, you know, I had two kids, I had a career, yeah. you know, I, I did my, my thing, but I was really existing rather than living yeah. and, and carrying a heavy burden of unprocessed pain. So mm-hmm. I think for me, what happened, Rochelle, is that I carried that around inside of me and it was like, a, I will say it felt like terminal sadness. Mm. It felt like I was kind of slowly dying from sadness. 
And so when I first began to work beyond the mind, when mm-hmm. I first be- began to really work through the body with my so-called depression was when I started to heal mm-hmm. and to really recover from my pain. And that got me really curious. And that's when I really started to retrain and start to work with the body and through the body because, of course, all our emotions live in the body. So um, that was kind of my journey to really starting to work with people in new ways rather than just tell me what's happening in your life and, Mm. you know, and uh, offering sort of, you know, solution-focused therapy, if you like. Mm. It was, this was more about really listening to people and their bodies and supporting them to feel safe enough to process through the body. Mm So what, so how did you know that it was the body? What was the thing that was like, okay, I want to do this in a different way? How did you kind of make that change? I was kind of, I stumbled upon it because I was so desperate. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've ever been that way yourself, but I was like, I felt like I could, you know, not like suicidal, but I felt like if this is it, if this is life and and it's this heavy and Mm. it's this dark and it's this painful, I don't know how I'm gonna do another 30, 40 years of this. So it was Mm. really that kind of dark night of the soul thing. Mm -hmm. And as happens, as we just talked about, what happens at these times is something or someone often when you're really on your knees comes Mm. into your life. And for me, it was an article. And I read Mm. this article about this particular piece of work um, which was around working and processing emotion through the body. Mm. So um, that was it. I signed up to do this. And it was really simple. I basically started to um, work with, with within a group, and that was really important as well, was working in a group setting. Mm. And actually, my rather than sitting in a ther- opposite a therapist or a coach, I was actually m- using my body, moving my body, mm-hmm. and I literally felt energy leave my body. And it wasn't um, pretty or easy. It was terrifying, actually. Mm -hmm. But it was... I felt it. I felt felt trauma begin to release through my body like this, you Mm -hmm. know, shaking. And and, and because I was... I trusted the people that were holding me in that space, Mm. it was... My body was just ready. And it just kind of did its thing. And you felt free after that. You felt more free than you had before. 100%. I felt like... um, yeah, lighter. Like you yeah. say, it was like, and not talking about weight here. It was like a well, a, a, an emotional weight. weight. Yeah. yeah, it was like I just felt like, I mean, it, it was really hard. It's not mm. saying it was. It was really hard. But then each time I did it, I just felt like yeah traumas and 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 distress start to fall away and then I noticed that I was kind of behaving in different ways and I wasn't so reactive and I wasn't so angry and then those day-to-day moment by moment sort of choices that I made Mm. came from this more lighter place and Mm -hmm. then I built a different life Mm -hmm. and it's like my life Rochelle is unrecognizable it's unrecognizable do you mind talking a little bit about what it was like before no not at all I mean I Essentially, I hit, like many people, I, I like I said to you, I, I could function for yeah. many years, and I did. And I think, you know, having kids and everything, you just, like many women, you just get up and crack on and yeah. do what you've got to do. Mm. But it was really um, existing and like wading through treacle. And then what happened, mm. which was again a gift, is I, I had this particular case in social work with this family, and I didn't believe in what I was doing, and it was heartbreaking with yeah. splitting all these children up from their mum. 
and it just broke me and I basically had a breakdown wow and so it was what it was that moment where I, I literally had a panic attack I thought I was having a heart attack I ran out of social services where I was working mm-hmm. and I never went back <laughs> and I literally was off I signed off work and I was off work for a long time and I was really quite ill mm. I was um you know really really quite mentally unwell and um and I was all right if I was in my house. Yeah. I could function okay, but if anyone came to the door, if I had to go out. And of course, I had two kids, so I did have to do these things. Mm-hmm. So it was really, I mean, I basically was at a point in my life when I was so low that I would literally get up, take my kids to school as long as I didn't have to get out of the car. I could cope with that, with mm-hmm. breathing. And then I would come back, and when they were at school, I would just get climb in my bed, and I would just go to sleep, set the alarm until they then need picking up. So you get just up. didn't have to deal with life, basically? I just couldn't deal yeah. with life. It was, yeah. and, and it really was, as I look back now, it was like my body, I'd pushed and pushed warrior yeah. style for so many years. I was just, just like, crack on, mm-hmm. crack on, crack on. And then it was like my body went, uh-uh, yeah. no more. So that final heartbreak of this splitting this family up just brought up so much unprocessed pain for me mm-hmm. that my body just made me stop and yeah. that is the wisdom of the body Michelle. yeah it, it makes you it goes ah, ah, yeah. ain't happening and it's just making me think about how many things i ignore on my body like i've had this thing that i'll just explain just a little tmi moment um on the instep of my right foot i have you can probably see i know the listeners can't see it but i have this thing here Oh yeah. This is great. Oh yeah. So apparently, so last that's been there for nearly a year now, and it's painful. And the doctor said that it was just um, from some sandals. So I, I basically bruised my foot, and then the tissue formed to kind of cover the bruise or something, and it's all like stuck together now, and it's really really painful. So it's kind of like I have two ankles, um, and the part of me is like, well, you know, why isn't it just going away? And I just feel like there's something I'm supposed to be paying attention to, mm. but I don't know what it is. Mm. And I have, I've looked at things like online, like what's the spiritual meaning of foot pain? Like I'm that person, I'm not trying to work out. But you're, like my stomach always tells me stuff. Like there's been times where I've, um, I've been in a place that I really didn't like, like energetically, it was horrible for me to be there and my knees have started hurting. So like your body does tell you mm. But for your body to completely shut down mm. and just not like, like it's almost like put a pause button mm. on your life until mm. you kind of like if you want to continue doing this, I'm not going to support you. <laughs> That's just a really it's a really hard it's a really strong message. Mm. You can't ignore it. No. And that's it. I mean, I yeah. love it. I can't remember it. I'm rubbish at remembering quotes. But Jim Carrey, you know Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. and he he said something about depression, and he he basically said it is your body is it is your body saying to you, can I swear or not? No. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. basically your body saying to you, fuck you. I am yeah. not going to support this lie, this facade yeah. of a life that you're living anymore. Mm. And so I'm going to just check out, and this is gonna make you stop and yeah. it is you know it's that thing that Brene Brown said the Love her. queen of vulnerability when she <laughs> when she basically said you know these are um they're called breakdowns but they're actually spiritual awakening I wanted to bring that up at some point but I forgot and she's so right about that it's a sp- it's, it's that it's like um the universe is taking you back to your core mm-hmm. and saying you're no longer allowed to ignore this part of who you are no. and if you choose to ignore it you can stay there yeah but actually there's something else for you yeah um, but what I find 
fascinating is those who answer the call and those who don't yeah and what that's about yeah but i suppose that's another episode yeah maybe it's something that i'd like to get into because i do also i always wonder like you know that i know some because of the job that i did and because of the job you've done you you know so many people that have experienced trauma mm. but you also know people that have decided to not answer the call and mm. just live in it mm. and then i wonder what that's about mm. um it's an interesting element yeah. like you say it's a big question but i also it's like that thing of Maybe they're not answering it yet, and, okay. and and maybe it depends what you believe, Rochelle. But maybe they're not meant to in this lifetime. Yeah, Who knows? no, I definitely believe in lifetimes. Mm. Um, that I'm gonna think about that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so just going. To, my first question is, um, can you tell us about how unprocessed pain affects people, like different ways? Like how can it show up in people's lives? How can they know that they have unprocessed pain? How can it show up? Yeah, how can it show up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all have pain and we all have um, unprocessed pain, especially in the Western world, because we're not, generally speaking, taught how to how to allow our emotions to flow healthily. Mm -hmm. It's like we have this, generally speaking, we have this thing where it's like happy, joyful, playful, all of that are the good emotions. Mm-hmm. And then sad, angry, fearful, etc. They're labelled the bad emotions. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and then if you think about we live in this consumerist society where it, it's invested in us not feeling good. Mm-hmm. So it really focuses on separation between you know good and bad basically you Mm -hmm. don't want to feel these things so if you buy this or drink this or eat that you'll you'll feel these things yeah Yeah. so um i lost my thread then um so how it shows up in people's bodies yeah how how does it how does it present in any way whether it's in your body or in your choices or just in your life like how 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 do people know that it's unprocessed well, they have to start to get conscious in the first place, yeah. and that's the thing. It's like your foot. It's like yeah. it's kind of quietly going, "Hello, Rochelle. Yeah. Hello, hello." And uh, and that's also the thing, Rochelle, which is interesting. Is people with trauma are really, really good at enduring pain. Yeah. And so we can ignore that foot for a year uh, or more, sometimes <laughs> yeah. lifetime. You yeah. know what I mean? So people can really ignore their pain um, for a lifetime, but it shows up in in unprocessed pain. If people learn to pay attention, it shows up in so many different physical mm. ailments. So like you, you said about your foot, and then there's also things like over the years, I've seen the themes of like the IBS, the migraines, the lower back pain, yeah. all of this. This is the body speaking. We've mm-hmm. just forgotten the language of the body. Mm-hmm. And so in order to really get clear with people about how they're carrying unprocessed pain, it's they have to look at their life and yeah. say okay if I've had these losses if I've experienced which everyone has mm-hmm. loss is part of the human condition mm-hmm. so if I've experienced loss in my life did I grieve it yeah did I did I allow myself mm-hmm. to really go into my emotions and mm-hmm. I don't mean just sadness and just tears like yeah really sit with how you feel yeah and yeah. really allow it to come through the body most people would say no generally at the first point it's such a scary thing though isn't totally. it because it's kind of like like I'm this podcast has allowed me to do so much work for myself or just to start thinking about it and you know I've explored some of the things that have happened to me but to think that that pain could leave my body 
is one of the scariest things mm. because like you said like um before you were talking about how you'd be you'd, sh- you'd be shaking as it leaves like i don't know the trauma that i've experienced what that would physically look like leaving mm, mm. it's just a lot it would literally it, i don't know yeah so then that's scary and especially for people that you know i think for most people i like to say that i'm a control freak at times but i think a lot of people want to have that control mm. especially when you're talking about how um uh, that people not being taught to appreciate the negative emotions mm-hmm. do you know what i mean mm. and so it's so scary but it's also very necessary because you know there are like there's a saying everyone's saying right now on social media that living my best life mm. it's like everybody ha- is entitled to live their best life and um yeah i suppose by like not paying attention to that you're mm. holding it back yeah for sure and you're only harming yourself yeah for sure but it's also really important with trauma rochelle that it is allowed to be released safely and right. at the pace that the person can manage mm. because that's the other thing that people really get scared of like mm. coming on the bridge they go am i going to go mad am I, is it going to be too much and that's what of course we're trained in trauma release because it's so important that you're with somebody one that you trust mm. two that can create a safe space for you mm. and three that knows how to do it at a pace that is right for you mm-hmm. because if someone goes in too quick too yeah. deep this is dangerous and, so that, yeah. that, and that's what people get afraid of and you know what's really interesting and um, yeah I agree with everything that you just said I had a conversation like yesterday or the day before about um, with a young person who was talking about um, she was saying oh I know there's something that's happened to me but I can't remember what it is and she goes I know that it's there but I just don't know what it is and I said yeah, I think sometimes I just I don't know I don't want to say that I just say things because I feel like it comes from somewhere some type of knowledge Mm. but I said to her um you've you kind of probably had to shut down to deal with whatever that thing was and I think that your brain might release it when you're ready Mm. so it's weird that you're saying that now Mm. because I kind of said that to someone else a few days ago but I just remembered yeah so whatever trauma that person has experienced it's like your your brain shut down to allow you to experience the trauma because you can't be present in it because then that could send you mad too much too soon for yeah. sure yeah. and then if you you know if you decided that you want to start feeling and remembering again that your mm. brain's only going to allow you to do so in a safe way mm. um so I've not, yeah like you just said that it just made me think oh no actually you're right like this whole kind of like rushing towards a release yeah isn't possible all no. the time um no. and patience totally with yourself totally and it's like it's like you say, like with that young person you're talking about, is that 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 defense mechanism is there for a reason yeah. to not be able to remember. Yeah. And it's like really, it's like when people come on the bridge and they say, oh, "I just feel really shut down," and I say, "Good, feel it. Yeah. Feel that shut downness. Feel the empty. Feel the empty. Feel yeah. the shut downness. Feel the numbness and feel it fully. And even when 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 you say that, sometimes people are like, "Huh?" Mm. And then even in that, there's a softening. Because it's like giving permission to that part that's so defended and so protected to kind of go, yeah, I can, I've got a right to feel this, the mm. numbness, the mm. nothingness. And then something even then starts to soften. Mm. So I'd never say to people, don't feel shut down. I wouldn't say that anyway. But yeah. it's like, yeah, feel the shutdown, allow it. Yeah. It's there for a reason. I'm really interested in. Um parental wounds mm-hmm. and how they affect people mm. um so yeah like for example i don't have the best relationship with my mother and i work with a lot of young people that don't either mm. and particularly the mother wound mm. I, I feel as though my dad wasn't here my dad i have a relationship with him but he's in a different country so um i feel as though 
my father wound and my mother wound are different. Mm-hmm. And I think that the young people that I work with, I see that it's different in both of them. Mm. Um, so when your trauma or when your pain comes from a parent, how do you, or do you, are you, do you know like what to kind of, how to advise a, a person to do that work, mm. the reparenting of themselves? Mm. Um, and the kind of, yeah, is that, can you disconnect from that pain when it comes from a parent? I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's about disconnecting from the pain, About I think it's about feeling it okay. and then integrating those parts of you that were kind of made to feel a certain way by your parents, for example. Mm-hmm. So an, an obvious example is maybe if you had a really critical parent mm-hmm. and or, or parents and they were really judging you and commenting on how you what you look like or how you achieved or didn't achieve. Mm. And that then, a, a natural kind of manifestation of that is going into your adult life or young life feeling not, not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you allow yourself to learn the tools to express and feel the pain of what caused you to become not good enough which is like I will call it following the trail when you look backwards towards oh yeah of course I feel not good enough because my dad was constantly saying you're this you're that you'll Mm. never be when you make those connections on a cognitive level Mm -hmm. that's the first step awareness then you allow yourself with trusted support to feel it Mm -hmm. to feel the pain of feeling never good enough and then what what I believe is that we then the next step is to integrate that never good enough part of you back inside you and that means welcoming home a part of yourself that feels not good enough because that's the thing I think we we spoke about before Rochelle is that what many of us do in the warrior mistake Mm. is we go oh oh I don't feel there's a part of me doesn't feel good enough so she can go over there yeah because I'm I am good enough yeah I am strong this is missing the point yeah do you want to talk about the warrior woman yeah sure just because you've mentioned it a few times and I think some people might be like, what is that? Yeah. Is that? <laughs> so, so my definition, and there's lots of different ones, so this is just what I use uh-huh. in terms of uh, the work that I do and for myself, is the warrior is a set of skills to survive uh, life. Yeah. And so many people who have experienced trauma or really difficult, challenging childhood situations, uh-huh. um, they go into fighter mode, which is a survival response. And they become... Uh, really good at defending themselves and so that's what I call the warrior woman or the warrior man for that Mm -hmm. matter it's kind of like I'm going to take life on head on and whatever you got yeah bring it on you know it's that kind of really tough cookie approach and I was really good at that for a very long time Mm -hmm. it was like you know Mm -hmm. and it was all a defense yeah and so what when I talk about the warrior it's not to say that you need to get rid of the warrior because my warrior kept me alive yeah. and my warrior, Rochelle, probably like yours, has served me very well in yeah. life. Not only <laughs> has it kept me alive, but it's enabled me to achieve things, mm-hmm. survive things, grow, etc. Mm-hmm. But what I believe is that the warrior, if you, if you use those skills too much and you deny your vulnerability, it becomes it becomes its own beast it's mm. like you i always say that it's like the mask of warrior merges mm. with your face yeah and then it's like uh, and that's when we reject those softer parts of us the yeah. part that feels stupid or ugly or fat or not good enough because she was judged and it's like all of those parts of you like the poet david white calls them emotional orphans and i love that 
love <laughs> and he just says they're emotional orphans they're aspects of yourself and they're lonely because they're waiting for you to remember them mm. and to grieve them and welcome them in you know mm. it's like taking them by the hand and going yeah the part of me that feels not good enough come on in mm-hmm. you have a right to be here and my experience was when I let the warrior step aside, which was a big deal, by the yeah. way, because it feels like if I'm Did not... Did that happen, you know, in this breakdown that you had? Does it happen around the same yes. time? Okay. Yeah. So I had the breakdown when I was like, I think 28, 30, which is usually, I think, an astrologically it's the, time for... Uh, Saturn's return. Yeah, exactly. So then it was... Um, yeah, all of those defences kind of... I was I was on my knees. Mm. I was literally... And that's, again, it comes with humility mm. because it was like the fighter was gone in me. And then, it, it, you know, again, I always quote poets, but, like, the poet David Work talks about the fighter sitting down and the limping part of you getting up. Yeah. And it was like the limping, broken part of me got up. Yeah. And that was a vulnerable, scared mm-hmm. girl. Mm-hmm. And so um, what, what's been my work and the work that I do with other people is supporting them to allow that really soft, scared, vulnerable child, emotional orphans, all of those aspects of yourself that are just waiting like, hello, mm. to be remembered and to kind of welcome them back in. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you can't whip out your warrior woman. When, you, when necessary. Yeah, but she doesn't define you. Yeah. She does not define you're, you. You're making me think about like all of my different like all of the things that have created the warrior in me mm. and i've and i'm at, at a place now where i'm trying to peek and see what i used to be like and then like the earliest memory i have of um someone saying because i've always been like somebody i've always been that child that someone said something about and I'm sure there were other children that had negative things said about them, but I'm very sensitive. And that's mm. something that I've started to claim that I would do. I've never used to say I'm sensitive. I always used to say, oh, no, I'm good, I'm cool. But I'm a very sensitive person. So I remember being, um, I think I said this on another podcast. I remember being, I think I was like year two or year three. And I remember it, and you may remember this. I think it was Selena, actually, that I said this to you before from um, Project Love. Do you remember Greg's being called Braggs? No. So that has to be a Birmingham thing, right? right. I, I think it was the best name thing. But I had a teacher called Mr. Bragg, and he always used to... There was two things that I used to do that he always used to, like, not shout at me, but make a thing. One of them was take my shoes off, which I now know to be a really, like... I, I just like to feel the ground mm. as a kid. Mm. And so he used to take my shoes off in class and walk around in my socks or just, like, my bare feet. And he used to be like, put your shoes on. Why are you taking your shoes off? And I used to, like... I used to just hate the barrier between the floor. Mm. And now I know that's a beautiful thing. Like, I would encourage a child to do that. But So I learned how to, you know, put shoes on. And the second thing he used to always shout at me about was my laugh. He used to say, your laugh is just, you're just, your laugh is really weird. You're like cackle, like, you're this, you're that. And so I changed my laugh. Mm. And that was the, that, that was the first time I remember, like, someone being super critical. And I think it was because it was outside of my family. It probably happened before, but I think with family, you don't see it's not the same mm. so outside that happened and then I just um and then it continued to happen in loads of different ways that I can't remember now mm. but another um thing that I mentioned before is like a few weeks ago I said goodbye to my um the year group that we that I've just left school and we all went around and shared our first impressions of mm. each other mm. um and so when they got to me the ma- overwhelming majority of my class said that they thought I was like strict and that you don't take no shit, miss. When I first saw you, I was like, oh my God, I better not. And I was just like, that's not me. Um, and then I, and then 
when you've got about eight people saying the same thing, you're like, okay, cool. So now there's something that I've done in my life that means that on when I'm first meeting people, mm. especially when they're young people, that I have this thing about me that they and I, and I, it's not that I don't know where it is. I'm very aware of where that comes from, but I also don't want that. I don't want to lead with that anymore mm. because that's not who I am. Mm. Um, and then, you know, another thing that the principal said to me the other day was that he's never had a situation where he said to a young person, "Go and see Rochelle," and they've not wanted to go and see me. And I'm like, that's because that's who I am. I'm that person that welcomes people in. So there's like the same person is being perceived in two different ways. Yeah. And so it's kind of like now I'm like listening to what you're saying. I'm like, okay, there are the reasons why I've developed that worry, yeah. but also it's not necessarily serving me anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I'm wanting to let it go because there's there's a softer part of who I am. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think for my for myself definitely, and I know for other people, I think that that staying still enough to connect with the softer person mm. is quite hard. Mm. Um, there's so much that I'm thinking that's coming into my head now about the things that I've done and said about myself that may have not been true as a result of the facade. Mm. And it's like, now I'm thinking, oh, well, like at some point I'm not going to be that person and I have no idea who the new person's going to be. Mm. That, that none kind of like like not forceful but just like like you said that warrior that yeah. stone lady that yeah. iron lady yeah um yeah but i wonder if it is like it's it's she's always going to be a part of you if you let mm. her even in your defenses she's still the defended part of you do you mm. know what i mean and so mm-hmm. it's like that's what i mean by welcoming her home is that that it's like you know, you want to bow down and kiss the feet of that warrior woman mm. in keeping you alive. But it is, like you say, you don't want it to define you. Mm-hmm. And so, but I really am against rejecting those parts of us ourselves. It's really more about kind of, it's almost like, yeah, it's like, it's like, there's a whole abundance of elements of ourselves, And the more we can kind of, like, as I call it, welcome those parts of ourselves home, mm. the really perverse, almost perverse outcome of this Rochelle is that you feel whole yeah it's <laughs> so like all these years I was so misguided I was like in my warrior I was like no I'm not gonna feel like stupid I'm not gonna feel fat I'm not gonna feel ugly I'm not gonna feel and it's like when I started to go yeah there's a little part of me that feels a bit inadequate about mm. how I look and there's a part of me that feels stupid and it will like I say when I really allowed those parts to be grieved and what what, what had happened to me to create them mm. and then I was able to integrate them and they were the missing parts of me and then you started to feel whole I started to really really feel whole mm. and remember that I always was whole it's just it was me pushing those bits away from mm. me because other people judged them yeah so it's like you with your beautiful example of your lovely uh laugh and your your grounded uh intuition mm-hmm. it's like this person whoever i never forget his name can you imagine i only had him for one year like mr bragg yeah mr bragg <laughs> but it's really interesting because to me what i when i hear that it's like it's like and i'm sure he didn't do this consciously no. but it's like a crushing of your essence yeah it's like because what i when i hear that mm-hmm. uh, and and looking at you now I see a goddess, you know, you knew that you were Mother Earth and you needed that connection to the earth mm-hmm. and you needed your feet on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, and then this wonderful laugh 
yeah. of aliveness and it's that scares people sometimes yeah. especially sometimes with women you know you were probably even then a powerful woman mm. and that probably scared Mr Bragg mm. <laughs> sorry Mr Bragg yeah no you're right and it's so interesting because like when he used to shout at me about the shoes thing because that was constant taking off my shoes <laughs> I felt when I decided that I was like, okay, I'm just going to put them on because this is becoming a problem. I felt like I had lost something. Not like lost a part of myself, mm. but like, well, no, yeah, lost a part of myself and also lost a battle. But also, when you're like seven, it's like, what do you, where do you go? Like, you just have to follow the rules. Mm, exactly. um, and so, so, yeah, that's fascinating because I've never, like, the way how you've just, you know, described what potentially he was seeing or you know subconsciously seeing because i don't think it was anything that he did i remember him being quite funny so i think it was always done in jest yeah but quite serious at the same time mm. and um i think mm, yeah i don't know i'm also thinking i would like to think that in 2018 teachers are more aware of how they talk to young people mm. and i said this on a, another podcast once again but i've always made it's like for me i never felt as though i could work with primary school kids it's too much pressure and I'm just being completely honest mm. like I I would rather fix them than break them mm. and I know that I wouldn't in, never intentionally break a child but you don't know what you say to mm. someone and, and how that kind of um so there are people out there that obviously can work with primary school kids but I'm just aware of the weights you know forming a human being mm. the weight of that it's huge um, responsibility yeah. yeah especially when you see a child like be confident and then they're not confident and it's not because they've been bullied by other children it's mm. because they've seen something in their house mm. or something like that yeah. and it's just children are like magical but I don't know for me um and especially because of my experiences that's something that I made a conscious decision to do mm. so I'm not surprised that I have all of these 16 year olds that tell me everything because I kind of manifested that yeah I was yeah. like I'd rather fix them than break them yeah nice um or attempt to try and fix them and mm. um, help them fix themselves right? yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but it's also beautiful because the more you become yourself beyond the warrior mm. the more these young people that gravitate towards you will it gives them permission to be more themselves yeah to be less the warrior or the fighter or the rebel or the scared one or the crushed one mm -hmm. because what you i would imagine mm. and then we've only just met but my sense is what you uh, showing them is the celebration of bare feet, their version of bare feet, mm -hmm. and, and uh, a great laugh. You know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, like be you, you be you, yeah. yeah. And the biggest advert for that is us being authentic and in living authentically. Yeah. yeah, it's so important is to say, and this is again part of my mission. Which I was like, I even in my facilitation is I go. Yeah, you might see me like sometimes I like I did just now I forget I, you know I call it menopausal memory you know mm. I like forget what I'm going to say and and it's all right yeah, yeah, yeah. because that's human and yeah. I'm not trying to be if I wanted to be this polished professional I'd work in the corporate world yeah. I'm not interested in that I'm interested in grounded living mm. authentically mm -hmm. two feet on the earth there preferably <laughs> it's interesting we both got our bare feet yeah out. I was like no I have to yeah. like, I can't have my shoes in here it was weird um You've answered, you kind of answered this question, but this is something that I want to probably focus on in a different way. Because mm. we've talked about how, um, you know, our pain kind of leaves our body and how it shows up in terms of, like, ailments yeah. and stuff like that. But how does your pain or your unprocessed pain show up in relationships? Oh, God, it's a 
huge. How long you got? Yeah, because <laughs> we say things like, I've always said things like, I say for example, like, because of the past, I'm a pastoral person, I do all the pastoral work. I tend to know people's backgrounds, like I read their file and like call. And then <laughs> it always happens that the two most people from the people with the most broken backgrounds always just end up in a relationship. So I've clucked it and I'm like, oh God, what's going on here? It's like, um, hurt people hurt people or pain attracts pain. Mm. Um, and then you see, and there's nothing you can do about it because they're, they're 16, 17 mm. and they're, 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 they've, I don't know if it's a subconscious thing and probably it is that they've, they've been drawn to each other because they, they recognize what pain looks like in someone else. And then they form a relationship and all I can do is wait for it to implode and then manage it. Like, it always happens. I'm just always very aware of that. So I see that happening mm. in young people all of the time. Mm. Um, and I've had situations where I know, like, when I've looked at the, some of the men I've dated, I'm like, oh, my God. But they're just a reflection of my pain. Mm. Um, so, yeah, how would, you, how would you explain that? Like, how are you? Yeah. How? I mean, uh, it's, it's, like you say, it's a layered question. But mm-hmm. so, so much... Um, so much of people's unprocessed trauma defines and determines, like you said, the people that are, they're drawn to and, and that they attract. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, on a very simplistic level, if you are, if you have been traumatized and trauma, I mean, in the holistic sense, like trauma can be a lack of nurture, yeah. which so many young people and children have experienced not having a, an, enough nurture from their one or both of their parents. Mm-hmm. That's trauma. Yeah. you know to a, to a small child so if you grew up in an environment where you weren't nurtured and your needs weren't met in a way that uh, small children need that will then mm-hmm. flavor the sorts of people you think you deserve yeah so if you for very simplistically if you had a parent that went away through death or through divorce mm-hmm. as an example you will experience that as an abandonment yeah and so then what often happens is if we you take an example of a young woman you know say this is a cliche but just as as, as an example so a young woman a child a young girl her father dies or goes away through divorce when she's quite young mm-hmm. and moves on has say has a through divorce and goes on has a new family mm-hmm. and so she feels abandoned by that father and because children are egocentric it means that there's something wrong with her mm-hmm. it's not that that mummy and daddy didn't work out it's like he didn't love me enough to stay mm-hmm. and so then they carry that wound unprocessed mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're not shown how to process it generally into their adult life and first of all they abandon themselves and this is the key bit is one of the ways sorry to go on about the foot thing but one of the ways we abandon ourselves is but through Mm self-neglect so what we're really doing it unconsciously Rochelle is we are perversely parenting ourselves negatively in the way we were parented yeah so my dad abandons me so I'm going to honor you dad and parent myself the same way by abandoning myself right does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. By parenting myself and choosing someone who will abandon me exactly. emotionally, exactly. abandon me. That is crazy. Because mm. you like I just feel like a penny has dropped in my head, like a ding. <laughs> it's just happened. Um, because I've had conversations with people that clearly identify that as a thing. Like um the last podcast that I released, then the her name was Ashley, she said in the podcast, and it made me it made me think because I was that young girl who didn't, who, whose dad wasn't there, but 16-year-old Rochelle didn't care. Mm. 
Mm. I was that person. I was like, oh, it's fine. No one's got a dad anyway. Yeah, no one's got a dad. Like, I used to always say, I only know, like, two people with a dad. So, like, we're all the same. It was just crazy. Um, But she said that when her dad used to come, he was never really around. She used to do things to make him stay, Mm. like, be good or, Mm. like, show him something that she's made. Mm. And I just never heard that before. Mm. Um, And then she went on to talk about the, the men that she's chosen as a result of that and how crazy her relationships have been. And you, it's just interesting that you've just connected the two to say, you know, the the, the lack of parenting, in, in honour to the lack of parenting, you do that to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's about learning how not to. Yeah, and yeah. grieving the parts of you. I keep banging yeah. on about grief because it's so important. And by grieving, I mean feeling the feelings fully and not, not just like, you know, two tears because you were uh, abandoned as a child. It's like really through trusted either trusted friends or therapy mm-hmm. or in a group experience mm-hmm. you know really to allow yourself to feel those feelings fully i think with grief i think for me when i hear the word grief you just think oh someone's passed away yeah. and you cry so you you don't attach grief to grieving yourself I, and a loss of, of a part of you i i i what grief means is a natural reaction to any kind of loss mm-hmm. and so of course people associate grieving with bereavement yeah. which is one element yeah but what i'm talking about and what the work i do is helping people feel their feelings yeah which are a natural reaction to any kind of loss mm-hmm. and so whether that is like because of what you parenting poor parenting you received or because of uh, a loss of identity all the things that you mentioned at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. of the podcast I support people to really go into their body and allow the emotions to come up safely Mm -hmm. in a way that they can cope with so that they can be released Mm -hmm. and then like like I said that people start to feel lighter and that's really uh, where people start to recover from what they thought was depression or whatever Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, something you said that I wanted to pick up on. Um, the other thing I just just to completely blow your mind, maybe around <laughs> the, the 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 relationship thing with trauma is what we also tend to do. I mean, I'm trained in something called Imago relationship therapy, and mm-hmm. Imago basically means image. Mm-hmm. And the theory is, and it's not saying it's true; it's one theory, is that we have relationships with the parent that we have the most unfinished business with. So we attract people mm-hmm. who are like the parent that we have the most unfinished business with. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you are going out with abandoning men and emotionally unavailable men, me, <laughs> that <laughs> would show you if you look at your mum and dad okay who was emotionally unavailable might have been both of them but that shows you that's your work yeah oh that's powerful Mm. that is majorly powerful yeah and you know what's really interesting, Michelle, is that if you start, to, if you start, if you believe that, and you're open to that, and you start to do your work on yeah. it, as you get healthier with, say, finishing your business, as I call it, with one parent, mm. so healing, for example, your abandonment wounding around dad, mm-hmm. is then you start to date people that are more like your mum, <laughs> because it's, it's this is what I believe it's it's the universe being so generous. Yeah. Then says okay heal this part of heal you this too. part of you and I'm yeah. going to be so generous Rochelle I'm going to give people that I will like remind that, you I like that you see it like that yeah <laughs> does that mean you don't agree no no no, no. I do agree but like, yeah. I would never when you said it initially I was like for fig's sake but now but now I'm just like no actually no it is generous because it's kind of like well you've healed this part yeah. heal this part too and then you can have something else yeah so that's what I got from it yeah <laughs> the stages but yeah I, <laughs> I really I mean that's what I've noticed over the years and it's that really 
it's that beautiful thing is when people really do their inner work is that they it's like you said like attracts like pain mm. attracts pain and it might manifest differently like somebody that might be really overtly expressing pain and then somebody that's holding it more internal they're mm. very drawn to each other mm-hmm. those types but then as you do your work you will attract a different sort of person not just in intimate relationships in friendships yeah. in in uh, working relationships everything yeah because we had a little bit of a conversation beforehand. My friends, we all have very similar parent issues. Of course. And um, we all are very similar in the ways how we've had to be warriors in our own way. Yeah. Um, and I love them to bits. Yeah. But you're right. It's interesting that we, we do attract those people. Totally. Because it's familiar. And that word comes from family. You know, yeah. It's familiar to us. And I think I always say to people, when I used to do relationship stuff... Um, I, I, I say to people and they say oh I'm, I'm too broken I can't have a relationship and I say how's your friendships and they go yeah really Amazing. good That's and nice. it's like yeah this is a practice ground it shows yeah. you you can do relationships I've always said that though because like my two best friends I've had them for like 15 years and I love them and I've hated them at times not hated them but they've irritated me yeah, and but you, but you, but you have the patience and you work through it, and then, and so then I've had that thought, like, well, how comes that doesn't reflect on my romantic relationships? Why isn't it I'm not able to? Because I've not had, I the average time span of a relationship is six months for mm. me. Because mm. at that point, I don't, I don't know what happens, but things always fall. Mm. Um, I either walk away. No, it's always me actually that walks away. Mm. <laughs> I think about it. It's always me that walks away, and the ones that have lasted for longer than that, they've walked away. Mm. Um, so I've had one that was like two and a bit years, and one that was about a year and a half when I was eighteen. They've walked away. Everything else has been about six months, and I've always been like, I can't do this. Mm. But for the same reasons, I've dated emotionally unavailable men. Mm. The same reasons, mm. um, and that's something that I'm committed to working through. Mm. Like a very real, like, like I just. Like I'm at this thing and I think I've just put, I don't know, I can't remember the quote that I just put on my Instagram now, but I'm at a point where I'm just like, you know the people, and I think it was Oprah that said, people tell you who they are. And with emotional, emotionally unavailable men, they tend to tell you that they are. And you tend to think that you can change them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> because that's what we wanted from our dad, yeah. for example, or our parents, is we mm-hmm. wanted them to love us. And so, you know, my father was an alcoholic, so mm-hmm. no surprise. I went out with addicts through yeah. my teens and my 20s and th- in, even my 30s. I was mm-hmm. a slow learner. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't just alcoholics. Yeah. It was drug addicts, work addicts, you know, all sorts of addicts. But essentially what my unconscious was trying to... Um, show me was this was my work but because I was a bit of a slow learner Mm -hmm. I was trying to get them i.e daddy Mm -hmm. to put down the drink or the work or the drug and choose me like my dad Mm. that's yeah I'm with that's really really powerful Mm. um I have a question from one of my young people oh yeah great she says she would like to know how did you manage to stay motivated so you you know you've spoken about the spiritual breakdown you've just mentioned that you've dated you know men that were addicts and stuff like that how did you stay motivated or get motivated mm. like what was your lens like at that time mm. and that, how did it switch for you to become the person that you mm. are what happened it's a really good question i mean part of it was like i said the humility of being brought to my knees i had mm-hmm. to kind of build my life from the ground mm-hmm. up again um but what kept me motivated in life was it's really interesting, Michelle. It's like the things that I used to soothe myself as a child, 
I used when I had my breakdown to soothe myself and they wow. they really worked in the same way they did when I was eight for example so when I was young when my dad was beating my mum up mm-hmm. when he'd come back from the pub mm-hmm. I would take my dog and I would go out in nature and I would walk with my dog in nature and I can still smell my dog's um, collar I can still see the colour of the grass mm-hmm. as I hid and he would try and find me and mm-hmm. it was just like a really soothing time for me and in that in that field with that dog I didn't feel like a child of an alcoholic I felt connected to the earth and Mm. to animals Mm -hmm. and to myself Mm -hmm. so I kind of remembered in those times and then when I became an adult and I had my breakdown I got my dog and I went out in nature Mm. and you know sometimes I was so kind of so ill that I would be in my pajamas yeah, <laughs> you know still be walking the I'd dog. still be walking my dog in yeah. nature and it was like that kind of gradually brought me back to life mm-hmm. so so to answer her question I lost my motivation completely because I was on the floor in mm-hmm. bed couldn't get out of bed kind of thing obviously I had children so I had to function on some level mm-hmm. though some people can't even do that um but my dog and nature saved me just as they did when I was a child mm-hmm. so that's one one element of it and the other thing is just in those nature experiences, it is, you know, what a bit like you said with you with the bare feet and the mm-hmm. laugh is like, it was like, call it what you like, call it my spirit, the essence of me, my soul, whatever you want to label it as. But there was a part of me that knew that this was a bigger, there was a bigger yeah. meaning to all of this. There was yeah. a part of me that kind of, I always knew. Mm. It was so weird, and I know you will understand this from your own story, but mm. it was kind of like, I just knew that it was all going to work out. Mm. And I really, I just trusted that. Like Even when I was on my knees, I was kind of like... There's something in you that There's knows. something is going to lead me somewhere. And it did. It yeah. was like I got on my knees... And then when I slowly started to get better, and then I got a job in a youth centre, so I didn't have to go back to social work. Then I started engaging with young people in really creative ways. And and then that led me to working in women's refuges and then into prisons. Mm -hmm. And then I developed my own course and the Mm -hmm. da 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 da. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, and here I am sitting in this room with you. Yeah. You know, but the but the motivation was was like my soul calling me for my higher purpose. Mm -hmm. And I hope that doesn't sound too airy-fairy yeah it was just yeah. it but it's it really that is the truth of it for me it was mm-hmm. like there was something calling me and and um and I listened eventually but it took me to be knocked over with depression before yeah. I just had to stop and then I listened yeah yeah I I do I do identify with that There's, I think I've always known um not what I was supposed to do. I didn't know, like, I didn't know what, I didn't know I was going to be doing this. No. Also, you would never know that podcasting wasn't a thing when I was going through no. this thing. Yeah, exactly. But you do know, and then Something. you hold on to that thing. And even if it's not true, and when I say it's not true, because the thing, what I mean by that is you don't know whether it's going to, you don't know what's going to happen, but the thought enough keeps you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um so yeah, I like that. I think that that hopefully she likes that. Mm. She receives the answer in I a way. Hope so. um, because I think there was a lot of people that probably, when they're exper- when they've had trauma that's been inflicted by other people on themselves, that kind of like it overshadows their higher of power. Of course. So that kind of that thing in the back of our minds that's like you know what this is all crap right now. Yeah. But there's something. Yeah. Like the trauma can also sometimes overshadow that thing. Yeah. So it's about kind of like 
you know, reaching out for it and yeah. like claiming that. Either. Yeah. Because that's the one thing. The thing is that you know, um, and I and I say this in in different ways to people. You know, there are so many aspects of our life that we have no control over, um, especially when you're younger and you're like, you know, people are looking after you and stuff. But you have control over the way how you think and the mm. way how you see yourself. Mm. And even though you have to might you might have to mask that for safety at mm. times, it's there. Mm. You can always grab it. Mm. It's also yeah. as well that thing like you know when you you said uh, before we started this podcast and you said. Um, where should I put my coat? I was going to put it on the floor, but I'm going to hang it up. Oh, yeah. This is just a tiny, small thing That's about self-care. <laughs> yeah, but it's really, it is, it's massive. Mm-hmm. But it seems for somebody else that hasn't got maybe your wounding, they'd be like, hey, you're just hanging a coat up. But it's actually about, it's about I am, I, I matter enough that I'm going to take care of this, this coat, which is my coat. And I'm going to hang it on a coat hanger. And it seems insignificant, but it's really, really profound. Yeah, and so when you said that, it's okay. Because I used to... My mum used to shout at me for, like, being careless. That was her thing. But now I'm thinking about it in a different way. I've always been that person that's just thrown stuff. And I've never been someone who was ungrateful. Because I've never... Like, I need to make that clear. It's not that I didn't like the fact that I had it. It's just more... It was more of a case of... Who cares? Nobody cares anyway. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And then you get shouted at about that, and then yeah. you're just confused because you're just like, I don't understand. Mm. But that for me went when I just got here. Um, I didn't. Yeah, as I was thinking, I don't want to put my coat on the floor, and I, and I have like I always put my stuff on the floor. Like I'm that person. Do you know there's like women, and that's a cultural thing that they don't put like my bags on the floor right now. But some women will not even have their bag touch the floor. Mm-mm-mm. And um and because they they it needs to have a place yes and all of, and yeah. I've, I've always been like wow like to care that much but it, it's something that I'm learning slowly so you say mm. like you know you're a slow learner mm. I'm thirty one I'm thirty two mm. this year mm. and I've and I'm just starting to grasp these lessons mm. and so um like I say for me and someone who has my entire life been in a place that has been clouded by things that have happened to me mm. my mind has been there mm. I'm just starting to see it could be different nice and then the things that are changing as a result of that like um like you were talking about your body earlier on and having like the way how you saw your body was a result of how other people made you feel about mm. it same mm. Mm. <laughs> and now I'm thinking to myself Rochelle you've changed so many things in your life if you wanted to you could change how you feel about your body mm. and then then I say that to myself because I have do you do that? Do you have conversations with yourself like you're not talking to you? Yes. Yeah, and then answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. <laughs> so then I'll be like, oh, wow, that's really cool. That's true. You can do that. And now I have more of a motivation because of those conversations to go to the gym, mm. but to do it in my own time and to do it at my own pace mm. and to not to compare myself to other people yeah. when I'm there. Yeah. And all of those, like I have spent thousands I'm that person that spent thousands in the gym because mm. I've been going for so I've had gym memberships for so long and mm. never been. Mm. Because it, I feel guilty about the fact that I'm not trying to do the thing that I should be doing. Right. But there's a there's a there's a whole like story around why I can't do it. So there's a that whole kind of like being kind to yourself and just mm. it. So yeah, that that is definitely taking place for me. So I'm excited to see um, what that looks like in about four or five years yeah. once it's fully realised. Yeah. Um. The last question I have for you today is I ask everyone this question. I'm always fascinated about the books that you've read that you can recommend to okay. other people. Wow. I'm going to type them while you're talking. Okay. So in any particular area or just the books that have really inspired you? Yeah, me books or? that you've... Yeah, so in this particular area, it would be lovely, but any book that has inspired you, that has like made you just see things differently? Yeah. I mean, the first 
book years and years ago, and I mean, I have no idea what it'd be like if I read it now, but I mm. read this book by Sarah Van Brathnack or something like that, mm-hmm. and it was called Something More, mm-hmm. and I later made, I named my company Something More, mm-hmm. and it was like, I mean, this is when I was in my early 20s, so it's a really old book, but it really had an impact on me, like this idea of wanting to be your best self and yeah. wanting to strive for more but not in the kind of greed sense mm-hmm. so yeah that was way back when but books that have inspired me god there's so many um obviously Brené Brown which one um all of them but yeah. I really I really liked I thought it was just me which okay. was about um I had that one I haven't yeah read it yet. shame and imperfection and mm-hmm. um what else have I read that I... I mean, a big influence on me has been uh, a guy called David Rico. Mm-hmm. And David Rico, his book called How to Be an Adult in Relationships, that really had a profound impact on me about how our unmet needs from childhood impact on the choices we make in relationships, which is yeah. what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. and how to learn to self-parent, which mm-hmm. is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, another book which... Is not for everybody, but this blew me away, Rochelle. It was a book called Falling Upwards, and I really like that. And it's by this guy called Richard Rohr, R O H R, and he he basically says this thing. He says when we're when we when we fall in life, it feels like falling, but we're actually flying. Right. And I really like that. And that's the whole breakdown of spiritual awakening exactly. thing, isn't it? And he's, he, that book, and like I say, he, he's, he is a, a father, mm-hmm. and so it has some religious references, and I'm not religious, mm-hmm. so, but it doesn't put me off either because I just replaced God with universe. Yeah. But basically, he said in that book of Falling Upwards, he said there's two major phases to life. One is ego, and it's all about... And, and it's a necessary part of life. The yeah. first part of life is about building your ego uh, uh, so that you can get a job and that you can get relationships and you can maybe get a house and shoes and whatever. So you have mm. to have an ego to kind of want stuff mm. and to build stuff. And then what happens is a ne- necessary uh, a crisis, a spiritual awakening, mm-hmm. when you're being called to this next phase of your life, as I was when I lay in that bed at 30, mm-hmm. which, was your, which is your spirit-led phase of your life, which is really going beyond ego mm-hmm. and actually transcending your pain and moving into the area of spirit-led li- living, whatever the spirit means to yeah. you. Yeah. And I just, that book blew me away. Yeah. yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to get that one. That yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Rochelle. Thank you for making it so easy. I'm a bit of a podcast virgin, as you know, so thank you. <laughs> Can you let people know where to find you? So um, about The Bridge, the website, or your social media, or the Bridge, your social media. Yeah, so The Bridge has a website which is called thebridgeretreat.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you can find all the info about The Bridge on there. And then... Um, also, um, we have uh, on, we're on Instagram, and that's at the Bridge Retreat. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, they can follow me on Instagram if they choose, which is at Donna Lanks, Donna, and then L A N C S Lanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rochelle. Thanks for making it so easy.